Dear friends, the scriptures urge us to acknowledge our sins and not to conceal them in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father, but to confess them with a penitent and obedient heart so that we may be forgiven through his boundless goodness and mercy. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of our gracious God and confess our sins together. O oh God, we have not managed well the wealth of the earth, which is our trust from you. We have modified your commands to suit our own egos and desires. We have wasted resources while hoarding our own use, what is meant for all to enjoy. Our concerns are narrow and our compassion is weak. We are restless and unfulfilled for we have not tried your ways. Forgive us, we pray, and lead us into your new day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. believers down through the ages, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors.
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We're glad you're with us today on the first day of fall, I think it is. One wouldn't know it in Florida, but it's uh, the first day of fall, and that's a good thing. And lots is happening, of course, in the fall season here at Church of the Palms. We're getting started with all kinds of new opportunities for you to be a part of our life, and we hope that you will explore the church bulletin to find out how you can be involved. We would love for you to fill out the friendship pads in the pews and and uh, note those folks who are sitting near you, and hopefully you'll have a chance to welcome them even after the service and enjoy a little conversation underneath the, uh, the big oak tree in the middle of our campus. Uh, just this weekend, we had uh, in our youth and family ministry, 60 moms and daughters uh, inhabiting this campus for a wonderful program of learning about relationships and what does it mean to be a mom and a daughter in this, in this particular world? And so that was exciting to see so many were here to participate in that. So lots of those kinds of opportunities are in the bulletin. So we'd love to have, especially our families, pay attention to those things as we continue to grow in our family ministry. We uh, have a blood mobile. It's out in the parking lot after the service today. If you uh, have the opportunity, we would love for you to give that very precious gift to those who will be badly in need of it very soon. So we hope you will uh, participate in that. Our Presbyterian women will be having a gathering on Friday, and there's information about that in your bulletin. So take note of that. And then speaking of Friday, Friday, I guess that Presbyterian women's gathering is on Saturday, sorry. But Friday night, we, uh, we have a dinner and a roast for uh, Brother John and Sister Judy, uh, who will be here for us to celebrate their ministry and, and for us to give them a well-deserved ribbing. Um, and then uh, next week will be John's last Sunday here, so you'll want to make a point to be a part of that uh, opportunity as we highlight our music ministry next Sunday morning. Our nominating committee would love for you to give us names of uh, those who are uh, perhaps in your vision, a person that would be able to uh, fill a, an important role in the life of our church, a leader, whether it be a deacon or a, or a member of session or a member of the nominating committee or the Memorial Garden Board, lots of opportunities for leaders to step forward. And if you would like to put your own name in or another person's name, we would love to hear from you as we prepare to bring a slate of officers before you this coming January. Sherry Watts, is she in the building? Not yet, okay. So we will wait on Sherry and uh, let's proceed to our music meditation. Would that be okay? Okay. Thy name, O Lord, thou art holy, strong, 
I think Sherry Watts is in the building. Come on forward, Sherry. She's going to share with us a little bit about our great ministry that you can be a part of. Good morning. My name is Sherry Watts, and one of the things I do here at the church is I, I serve on the SHAPE team. Um, and so I wanted to explain what SHAPE is. I think probably some of you have already taken the class. Um, I've taken it a couple of times. I think it's one of the most exciting things that's going on in the church right now. So um, SHAPE is a program that helps you to identify what your unique gifts and talents are um, and to discover more about how God has purposed your life. So SHAPE is an acronym. Um, it stands for spiritual gifts, heart or passions, abilities, personal behavior, and experiences. I signed up for the first class five years ago, and I was so excited because I actually believed preachers when they would say that I was uniquely gifted and that I was called for a purpose, but no one could ever tell me what they were. And I would ask, and I would ask, and I would say, well, can I take a class? Well, we don't have classes for that. So, of course, as soon as there was a class, I signed up. <clears throat> I discovered, like one of the main things I discovered was why I was so tired all the time. Because I was doing things that I was not gifted in at all. But I'd been doing them my whole life. And so when someone would call for somebody to do that, I would volunteer because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Um, so I discovered that I didn't need to do that anymore. I discovered some gifts that I didn't even know I had. So I began to redesign everything in my life so that I could actually contribute the gifts that I had. I can't even tell you how much it changed my life. So now I do this. I go out and tell everybody that they need to go take the SHAPE class because I really believe that. I also think that it's important for you to know about the people around you. And so last year, Dan and I, my husband and I, took the class together. And I learned all kinds of things about him that I had no idea, and we'd been married for a very long time. And so I was able to really support and encourage him to contribute his gifts back to the world, um, to the glory of God. And what I wanted to tell you this morning, though, is I want to paint a really big picture about where we're headed with our SHAPE program. We want to know your SHAPE. We want to know every SHAPE in this congregation. We want to know what your gifts are, and we want you to be in a place, like I described for myself, where you feel filled up when you're contributing your gifts and talents. And I don't know if you're like me. I mean, maybe you figured it all out, but I sure hadn't. And I think you'll, you'll be thrilled with what you'll learn. We began, James Leak redesigned the program um, for three years ago for teenagers. And so we began offering SHAPE to the confirmation class, and we um, offer SHAPE to our eighth graders now. Every single eighth grader gets to go through SHAPE, and you will know what their SHAPEs are. So if you're a mentor, if you're a uh, tutor, and, and the child goes to this church, you'll know what that child's SHAPE is. Um, I'll give you an example of something that occurred this year. We have a young man who grew up in the church. He's been here since preschool. And he didn't know he was a leader. And it was his highest ranking, one of his highest ranking gifts was leadership. And the reason that we didn't know that was he's quiet. And some of our greatest leaders in the world were quiet people. Um, so now we can really highlight that in his life and look for opportunities for him to lift that up. So 
we want you to do it for you, and we want you to do it for the entire um, church community so they all know that we value this about them. Um, you can sign up. We always make it very easy. We're under the tree. It starts on October the 6th, um, which is a Sunday evening at 6.30, so I hope you'll be there. Thank you. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come this day to worship and praise you, for you have come to us again and again in love and mercy. In gratitude, we seek you in the words of our hymns and prayers and scripture. We seek you in the word interpreted in offerings given, in moments of silence, and in the image of you we see in each other's face. Bless us this day, O Lord, that we might be a blessing to others in your holy name. Gracious God, secure in your presence and love, we pray for those we, who stand in great need. We pray for those who find themselves in desperate situations from which they see no escape. We pray for those who do not have enough to eat, nor shelter or safety of home. We pray for those afflicted by nature, natural disaster and failures of human inventions. Particularly, we pray this day for flood victims in Colorado and victims of violence at the Navy Yard in Washington, the mall attacked and ongoing hostage crisis in Nairobi, Kenya, and the suicide bombing against the people of Christians of All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan. We pray for those in places of rampant disease and war and oppression. We pray for those who lead the nations that they might have their hearts and minds and courage opened to your leading. We pray, O oh God, for missionaries who go to share your gospel with people who, though far from us, are close to your heart. We pray for those who serve in harm's way to protect us and safeguard our freedom. Bless this Church of the Palms, we pray. Make us welcoming of all kinds of people and guide us as we equip your people to be your disciples. Strengthen us as one part of the body of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God in giving of our offerings and tidings. Well 
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for our days are marked by your love and the abundance of your grace and blessings. At this moment in worship, we return to you a token of our love and gratitude in offering of these gifts. We pray that you will accept them and use them for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated, and Lori and our children are here. All right, guys, come on down. Good morning, good morning. Hello, I am so glad you're here. Hello, hello, good morning. Good morning, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you all. Excuse me, Mayor. Hello, how are you? 
All right, so I have a question for you. If you saw me dressed like this, where do you think I might be going, or what do you think I might be doing? Any guesses? Head to toe, black, not a single get Amy, thank you for saving me. Go ahead. To work. To work, excellent answer. Not the one I'm looking for. Anyone else? <laughs> Ryan. To be in a play? To be in a play, that's actually a really good guess too. I got like Hollywood over there, I thought that was pretty cool. Someone probably died. Someone probably died. That I got that this morning from one of the pastors. So, <laughs> what if I had these and I was really sneaky and I was really quiet and then, what do you think? Yes, being a spy. Oh my goodness. Our lesson today that we're going to learn is all about and because of spies. Can you imagine? In the Old Testament, remember what we've been learning that Moses took all those people from, from Pharaoh. Last week, remember, he parted the Red Sea and they escaped. And now they are at the edge of the promised land. And God said, Moses, you better send out 12 spies and go check it out. So he sends them over there. So the spies are going, well, we're going to see how many people are there. Are they big and are they strong or are they little? Are their towns fortified with great big walls or are they easy to get to? Is the land, is the land good for us to grow <laughs> crops? So they come back home after 40 days. They make their report and all the spies are going, this is awesome. This is a land of milk and honey. You know what that means? It means like it's all good. It's like everything. It's lush. It's good. And then the spies said, well, but there's a little problem because there are giants living on that land and they look at us like we're little grasshoppers and they're going to crush us. Well, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, are going, that isn't what happened. That's not right. They're telling a lie. And so now they have a decision to make. They have to decide Am I going to trust God, even though I'm really afraid because all of the Israelites are believing these knuckleheads? Am I going to tell the truth? And guess what? They decided to tell the truth. They decided to say, listen, guys, it's true that the land is good, but they're not giants there. There's a lot of them, but God is with us. God will give us this land that he promised us. Well, you know what happened next? All of those Israelites wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. They're like, holy cow, we trusted you, God. Well, guess what? God took care of them. They were the only two that ended up going to the promised land. Everybody else had huge consequences to pay for lying and for not being obedient to God. So the lesson that we get in this is like to trust God, even those times when we're really afraid because the crowd is doing something else. For example, let's say you're in your classroom and your teacher's going to leave the room and she says, okay, everybody sit quietly and do your work. But then people start talking and people get up and start goofing around and then you have a decision to make. You go, am I going to trust God so that I can be brave enough to not join that crowd or am I going to just join in? Or if there's a whole bunch of people, kids, picking on one little kid, you have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God and be brave and not join that crowd and even be more brave and stand up for that kid? If we listen to Joshua and Caleb, you know what we're going to do? We're going to trust God, we're going to be brave, 
and we won't be disappointed. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, sometimes it's scary to do the right thing, and especially when lots of people are doing things that aren't the way you would want them to be. We just pray that you fill us up with that trust so that we could go forward and do the right thing, being brave while we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go to kids' worship. You can leave that right there. We continue this morning in our sermon series, The Trip of a Lifetime, focusing on the Beatitudes of Jesus found in the first few verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. We have been taking a look at each of these Beatitudes and wondering what the blessed life looks like and what it might mean for us to embrace it intentionally in our lives. Today we're taking a look at our next beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, 
for they shall be filled. And to do so, we are going to reflect upon a story in Luke's Gospel, the 19th chapter, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, and a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We are grateful, O oh Lord, that that is your mission to seek out and to save the lost, for we count ourselves as one of them and ask that even now in these moments to come and words to come that you will help us to discover more of where we are and where we need to be for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. It is hard, I suppose, to get through an American life without having read the book or seen the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Harper Lee's classic tale is a national treasure, the story of a Southern lawyer, Atticus Finch, and his two children, Jem and Scout, who lived through the racial drama of an Alabama town in the 1930s. Several plots run through the story, and one of them has to do with a neighbor to the Finches, Boo Radley. His name is Arthur Radley, but the town calls him Boo because he's sort of a ghost, a recluse, hidden away in his home, subject to the speculation of the townsfolk as to who and what he really is. Is he crazy? Is he a monster? Is he a threat to the town? Stories swirl about his childhood and his inclinations toward violence. The children, though, Atticus's children, are fascinated with this man whom they do not know and have not seen. And along with a friend, they carry out little reconnaissance missions into Boo's backyard and onto his porch to see if they can figure out who this man is, what is he all about, and try to maybe even draw him out of the house. The closer they come, the more afraid they become. At hint, any hint of discovery, they turn and run, and, and yet it's these attempts to draw nigh to Boo and to draw Boo out of the house 
that are soon met with a response. Boo begins to leave the children little gifts inside the knothole of his tree, some chewing gum, a, a broken watch, Indian head pennies, and two soap dolls carved to look like the two brother and sister. Quiet efforts by a quiet man to reach out. At one point even when Scout falls asleep outside, Boo, without her knowing it, sneaks from his house and covers her with a blanket so she won't get cold. And of course, at the end of the story, when the children's lives are threatened, it's Boo who saves them. In the closing pages, Scout reflects and says, neighbors bring food with death and flowers with sickness and little things in between. Boo was our neighbor. He gave us two soap dolls, a broken watch and chain, a pair of good luck pennies and our lives. Sometimes the person furthest from you is the person who ends up being the one you need closest to you. Sometimes the person you're most afraid of is the person most apt to save your life. You remember the story of St. Francis of Assisi riding his horse upon the Umbrian plain, pondering his own spiritual life. He was a, a rich man's son and insulated from the world. And as he pondered these things, all of a sudden his horse shied from underneath him and he looked up to see the sight he most feared in the world, a leper. Horrified to come so close to someone so unclean, he galloped away, but, but a voice within spoke and he knew what he needed to do. He stopped and turned and approached the leper, dismounted his horse, took money from his purse and placed it into the leper's hand and then turned away. But the voice spoke again and he turned back, took the leper's hand brought his leprous skin to his lips and kissed it. The leper, seeing the love of Christ in the traveler, took hold of him and gave him the kiss of peace. Francis mounted his horse, rode back to Assisi, and from that day onward made it his regular practice to visit the colony of lepers may explain in part the words of Pope Francis this week, the first of the popes to take the name of Francis. No surprise to hear his words of invitation to those who are afar off. Sometimes the person furthest from you is the person you need closest to you. Sometimes the person you're most afraid of is the person most apt to save your life. So Jesus makes his way into Jericho, and there in Jericho is Boo Radley. They don't call him Boo, they call him Zacchaeus. That's his Jewish name, but they treat him like a ghost because he's, been, he's not been a very good Jew. He, he's more a Roman. He's a Roman tax collector, and it's his job to shake you down for as much money as he can get to cover the Roman tax and to fill his own pockets. And he's filled his pockets well and at the expense of his own people. So Zacchaeus is the guy you stay away from. Zacchaeus is the guy you avoid. Zacchaeus is the guy you don't want to be friends with. Zacchaeus is the guy that everybody looks at and says, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. 
Zacchaeus is the guy who makes everybody else feel righteous. And the name of the game in Jericho is avoidance. So Jesus comes to town and he's been hearing from the righteous people about Boo Radley. He's been hearing stories and they may not even be rumors, they might even be true. He, he really may be as bad as they say he is, extorter, liar, cheat, bad Jew, discredit to his people. It may all be true, probably not, but it may all be true. And so then comes the day when Jesus is making his way through the city and the crowds have crowded out the little short tax collector, forced him up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees him in the tree and while the name of the game in Jericho has been avoidance, while the name of the game has been separation and fear, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, guess what, boo? I'm coming to your house today. All the name of the game has been avoidance, but the name of my game, boo, is approach. Something's gonna happen to you today, boo, Instead of avoiding you, someone is going to approach you. This has, of course, been Jesus' MO from the very beginning. From the very beginning of God's story, it has always been about reproach, approach. God has always been on the approach in the disobedient days even of the garden. The story goes that God approaches the man and the woman in the cool of the evening. In the burning bush, God approaches Moses. In the baby born in Bethlehem, God approaches the world. In the woman at the well that we talked about a couple weeks ago, it was the Jewish rabbi approaching the Samaritan woman. This is the righteousness of God, you see. This is the name of the game. This is what God does. God approaches. It is his righteousness. So Zacchaeus, Jesus says, Get ready. I'm on the approach. Now, Luke tells us that the people of Jericho are dealing with a different kind of righteousness. Theirs is the righteousness of avoidance. Theirs is a righteousness that takes great pleasure in not being Zacchaeus, in staying away from Zacchaeus. Luke tells us that they grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. It's what self-righteous people say. It's what self-righteous people say when they think that the righteousness of God is something that takes residence in them, that it's some kind of a seal of approval, some kind of you know, certificate from the health department. But Jesus is there to say that righteousness is not a state, it is not a seal of approval, it's not a certificate. Righteousness is a way, it is an act, it is an approach, it is approach. Self-righteousness leads to avoidance. God's righteousness leads to approach. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I, the one who has any claim on self-righteousness, I am coming to your house today. Now, it's interesting that Luke records for us no conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus. 
There's no word of scolding or rebuke, no pithy parable. All we read is that Jesus approached. And and all we know is that upon, upon approach, all Zacchaeus has to say is that now he has something to give. To the poor, I'll give half of everything I have, and to those I have cheated, I'll give away four times as much. All because someone thought to approach. And Jesus says, I told you, I told you. He really is a son of Abraham. I knew it. I just knew it. He is just like one of us. Sometimes the one you're most afraid of is the one who has the most to give. It makes me think of the time when I was ministering, a youth minister up in suburban Detroit, and I was in a coffee shop to get ready to give a talk, and I was getting ready with my notes and had a Bible sitting out on the table there getting ready for this youth talk I was going to give, and And across the way, there were three Arab-looking men. Southeastern Michigan, at least at that time, had the largest Arab population of anywhere in the world outside of the Middle East. So it wasn't unusual to see three Arab men in this little shop, but what was unusual was to see the three young Arab men get up and walk over to my table. They stood in front of me, and one of them said, you have something we need. I said with great hesitancy, okay, (laughs) what might that be? He said, we noticed your Bible and we guessed that you're a Christian. I said, yes. He said, well, we're Muslim. And so there's little that we understand about your book. Do you have some time to tell us about it? Sure, I said. So they sat and we talked for about an hour or so about my book. When we got done talking about my book, I said to them, you know, you owe me something. They said, what? I said, you owe me an hour for you to talk to me about yours. And so we agreed to meet a week later and we did. And they shared with me about their book, the Quran. Now, I wish I could say that it was the start of a lifelong friendship, but it wasn't. But I will say that when we got up from that table and shook hands and hugged, that something deep had been given and received. We had been filled by righteousness, not ours, not the one in our book, but just in the righteousness of their approach. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes the one you're most afraid of is the one who has the most to give. So maybe there was great method to the madness of God creating human beings so different from each other As different as we are from God, so different God made us from each other. And at least it looks that way. But God's righteousness changes that. 
Paul points to the cross and he says that that's the righteousness of God. It is God in his deepest approach, God in Christ reconciling the world to himself as different as we are from God. And it's in the approach by which we are filled. It is in the approach by which we become children of God. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will discover that promised blessing. Fred Craddock, one of the great American preachers, tells a story of when he and his wife were on vacation and were out to dinner at a restaurant outside of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And he tells the story this way. He says, early in the evening, an elderly man approached our table and said, good evening. I said, good evening. He said, you on vacation? I said, uh, yes, but under my breath, I was saying, it's really none of your business. <laughs> Where are you from, he asked. Uh, we're from Oklahoma. Oh, well, what do you do in Oklahoma? Under my breath, I was saying, leave us alone, we're on vacation, and we don't know who you are. Instead, I said, I'm a Christian minister. He said, what church? He said, the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. He paused a moment, the man, and said, you know, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. And he pulled out a chair and sat down. Craddock say, oh, sure, have a seat. <laughs> he said, I grew up in these mountains. My mother wasn't married, and the whole community knew it. I was what was called an illegitimate child. In those days, that was a shame, and I was ashamed. The reproach that fell on her, of course, fell on me. When I went into town with her, I could see people staring at me, making guesses as to who my father might be. At school, the children said ugly things to me, so I stayed to myself during recess and ate my lunch alone. In my early teens, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains called Laurel Springs Christian Church. It had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. He had a chiseled face and a heavy beard and a deep voice. I went to hear him preach. I don't know exactly why, but it, but it did something for me. However, as I was afraid that I was not welcome since I was, as they put it, a bastard, so I would go in just in time for the sermon and listen, and when it was over, I would hightail it out before anyone could say to me, what's a boy like you doing in a church like this? Well, one Sunday, some people queued up in the aisle before I could get out, and I was stopped. And before I could make my way through the group, I felt a hand on my shoulder, a heavy hand. It was the minister. I cut my eyes around and caught a glimpse of his beard and chin, and I knew who it was. And I trembled in fear, and as he turned his face around and could see mine, I could see him staring at me. And I knew what he was doing. He was going to make a guess as to who my father was. A moment later, he said, boy, you're a child of, he paused there, and I knew it was coming. I knew I'd have my feelings hurt. I knew I wouldn't be able to go back again. He said, boy, you're a child of God. I see a striking resemblance. 
And then he swatted me in the bottom and said, now you go claim your inheritance. I left that building a different person, he said. In fact, that was really the beginning of my life. Craddock reports, I was so moved by that story, I had to ask him, what's your name? The man said, name is Ben Hooper. I recalled, Craddock continued, I recall my own father talking when I was just a child about how the people of Tennessee had twice elected as governor a bastard named Ben Hooper. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.